going to ask everyone to make your way to your seats, and we will get started this morning. First of all, we want to say welcome. We are glad that you're here. We, we will even want to give a special welcome this morning to a couple of uh, our longtime members who aren't always able to with, be with us. I saw Jane Jones back there in the back, and for the first time in a very long time, Aline Clark is able to be with us today. So we are super excited to, to have uh, more of our family together. It's uh, hard when we can't be, and so it's wonderful when we can. Just wanted to share a couple of uh, announcements and uh, brief, I guess, explanations with you this morning before we begin our time in worship. Number one, uh, we want to celebrate last Sunday morning, um, Jed Monahan was baptized by his father, Kelly. So we are grateful for that decision that Jet made. Uh, also, tonight we are having, I think what we would just call... Um, a church-wide devotional. There's going to be a couple of us that are going to be sharing some thoughts tonight, several people, men from here in the church. It's going to be uh, over in the small auditorium in the chapel, and so that'll be at 5 o'clock. And then next Sunday night, uh, and I, I explained this to my class a little bit this morning, so I feel compelled to just share it with the church a little bit as well. Uh, we are having uh, another singing night, uh, and if you've come to one of those, you've, you've learned now that they are about learning uh, some of the th- a majority of the songs that we're going to be singing at our Praise and Harmony workshop in August. And so the reason we're learning them and singing them now is so that when that workshop gets here, Keith isn't spending his time teaching us those songs, but rather really talking to us about worship and, and how we can improve upon that and how we can... Um, joined together more so as, as a group of believers and how that works. And so that's why we're learning those songs now, so that it's not his job to teach them to us, but improve upon them and how we can better connect our hearts to each other and to our Father during worship. And so I know there are a lot of us that are excited about that. We hope that you'll be able to join us. You can see the dates there in the bulletin as well. So I just want to ask everyone to stand as we begin our time of worship this morning and open in prayer. And then Davy will begin leading our hearts in song. Heavenly Father, God, we are grateful for this day you have given to us. We are grateful for the instruction of Scripture, for the love of the church, for a family that gathers together, whether it just be once a week, whether we feel that encouragement every day, or we are together when we can be. We are grateful for what you knew long beforehand, and that's that we would need each other. God, help us to be there in tangible ways for each other. Help us to say yes when opportunities present themselves to serve our brothers and sisters, to encourage them, to stand in the gap for them, to pray with them physically in their presence, to hold their hand and to lift them up to your throne. God, we are grateful for that gift that you gave to us. And this morning as we join our hearts together both in worship that's vertical to you and encouragement that's horizontal to each other. Help us to give this time fully and completely over to you that we could shed the distractions that we brought here with us and that this time could be yours alone. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of the Lord. Jesus died. 
his song will be led in our shepherd's prayer. It's really good to see everybody here. We want to thank everybody for being here, especially our visitors. I want to say that it's especially nice to see Aline Clark here and to see Jane Jones here. It's, uh, it's really nice. And we want to welcome uh, our visitors and those who have joined us online. So before we get into our elders' prayer, I wanted to just share a conversation that I had with a cousin of mine recently, and we were talking about the presence of God and how the Holy Spirit works with us. And, you know, we kind of had the thought that, um, 
you know, God was up in heaven. We're on earth. There's this big blue sky in between us. And he's a benevolent God. And he just, he's just watching over us. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, that's incorrect. There is not a person in this assembly that has not faced the trials and tribulations of life. Not a one. And we all know it. And we've all felt it. And in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is sent to intercede on our behalf, to help us in our weakness, and to help us through life. And what I, the point I made to my cousin was, yes, God is up there, but he's also down here. And sometimes you feel that proverbial hand on your shoulder as you're going through life. And that's important for us to remember. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day that we can come and gather in this place to commune with you and to commune with each other. And Father, to have the freedom to worship you and to learn about your word. And Father, we're thankful for knowing that when we meet together in this place, that you are present and you are with us. And when you are present, there is power. And Father, we know that we, we go through life, and sometimes life is hard. But we know that you are with us, and you're always with us, because your Holy Spirit is with us. And Father, we're thankful for the, those who are in attendance today, our visitors, our members, those who have joined us online. Father, it is the summertime, and we pray for those uh, members here and for our families that are traveling. Those who are not able to be here today, we pray that you will be with them in their journey, in their travels. Father, we pray for this church. We pray for the staff of this church and the work that they do, the elders and the deacons and the leadership they provide. And we, Father, we thank you for the teachers and the volunteers, because without the teachers and volunteers, this church, this church would have a hard time. And Father, we pray overall for the growth of this church. And Father, we pray for those on the prayer list. You know who they are, and we know who they are, but sometimes they're not always listed on the prayer list. And Father, we pray for those who have lost loved ones, that you will help, them, help those who have lost the loved ones, help them with the, that transition. Father, we pray for those who have had surgeries and are recovering. And Father, we pray for those who are sick and are on their way to better health. We pray that you be with them. And, Father, we pray that you send your Holy Spirit to those who need comfort and protection. And, Father, we pray that we are always mindful of you, that we will always turn to you to learn to trust you, to believe in you, and that if we will turn our burdens over to you, that you will take care of us. But, Father, sometimes we just don't have the confidence in that, and that's what we need. And, Father, we pray for our elected leaders locally, in our state government, our national government, and around the world. Father, we pray especially for those who would use strife to divide us and for the unrest in the world. And Father, we pray that we will be strong and steadfast in the battle between good and evil, to be mindful of those words in John 14 that say, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Father, we know that we have all sinned and we all fall short. 
but we are here to help and encourage each other because you help and encourage us. And Father, we know that you always love us, that you will never forsake us, that you will always do what's best for us. And in all these things, we pray that your will be done. In your son's name, amen. We are still, even today, beneath the cross of Jesus. It has such a special, special place in our lives because it is upon that cross that Jesus shed his blood for our sins. Beneath the cross of Jesus I say that Joanna tried to throw me off before I came up here by calling me a traffic cone. So if you can see me, all right. Seriously, though, it's this time that we go to the cross and commune and, and remember what was done on our behalf. And I don't know if you've ever sat back and just pondered the thought of why did he set this up and do this every week whenever our mind is not supposed to be far from the cross anyway. We're supposed to pray without ceasing, and <clears throat> we're supposed to, you know, do those things that are right anyway. So why did he take this and say, okay, let's do this in remembrance of me? And I think it's, uh, you know, with all things that come from God, that it's just, uh, it's universal in different times and society and in uh, different cultures and, and the old uh, church when it the first began, you know, and they were in fear for their lives and being killed, you know, it was something to give them um, a hope, but in modern day America, the way we live, you know, it's, I think for me, it's more like, hey, you got all these things going, and you need to concentrate on this right now because I'm not in fear for my life for being a Christian not yet anyway the way society's going it may get back to the way it was then but for us it's time we go back to that cross and remember this sacrifice that's given us a chance to be with the Lord forever so if you would pray with me dear Lord thank you so much for this avenue you've given us this saving, this, this savior that had to be slain. And we take this bread that represents his body and we will remember him. In Jesus' name, amen.
you stand before the congregation and you try to bring something or some angle that hadn't been brought before, but really there's nothing we haven't heard. So a little application, I'll try to anyway. Um, Joanne and I were down on the square yesterday for a car show. A friend of mine at UPS had restored a 58 Chevy, and man, it was shiny and it was pretty and pretty much flawless. And it just made me think a little bit about, you know, we're born and we come out without sin, pretty much flawless. But shortly over the course of time, we're lost and rusty and ugly. And no one wants to, you know, be that way. So he offers this plan to be restored like that 58 Chevy. And this restoration comes through this blood. And what a great idea. You can't come up with better ideas than what we get in the Bible. So it has to be inspired. So if you would, pray with me again. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus' blood that washes away our sin. The sacrificial lamb made everything perfect. He restored us. He restores us. It's continual. We thank you for your wonderful, wise ways. Every time we look at your word, we see something else we didn't see before. But we know that we do the right things and we pray that the blood is going to keep us cleansed and we'll be with you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name, amen. table and the elders set aside this time now to uh, take up an offering. So, um, you know, you've heard, and it's biblical, if you do what's right, you'll prosper. So sometimes you wonder, well, you know, why am I having these tribulations and trials, you know, different things, you know, I'm supposed to be blessed if I'm doing right. But all we have to do is go to Job. Job was doing right. He started suffering, and he started suffering severely. And the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. So we just need to remember that 
you know, God blesses us and we don't always understand his ways because his ways are not our ways. So we need to just give back what we owe. We can't pay it all back. We can give some of it back with a happiness. And that's what's all it's really ask of us and to help those that are in need. So if you would, pray with me. Dear Lord, you've blessed us beyond measure. Some are blessed more than others monetarily. Some are blessed more spiritually. But we're all blessed. Not a day goes by that I can't count some blessing. I'm not owed it, but I thank you for it. And be with us now as we give back just a smidgen of what we've been blessed with. You've blessed West Auburn Congregation for many years, decades. One could even say century. So just thank you, Father. Continue to bless us and watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our young people can be dismissed for their blast program now. If you would, please stand and turn your attendance cards to the aisle nearest you, and they'll be picked up at this time. And we'll be singing, Oh, to be like thee, before Bill comes and presents to us from God's Word. <clears throat> oh, to be like thee, blessed redeemer, this is like constant longing and
So if you see Aline or Jane today, then the thing to tell them is, wonderful to see you. And what a blessing, um, what a blessing that is. Uh, if you see Jay and Debbie Bynum or Galen and Margie Sigler, then the thing to say to them is, thank you, thank you. They have been a blessing uh, to this church family as uh, Jay and Galen served as shepherds and elders here for many years. And with our new eldership and with the wonderful additions we've made to that group, they feel like now is the time for them to allow those guys to continue to shepherd and lead this church in faithful ways just as they have. And they will continue to be here and to serve and to work and to minister. And so now that they have all this extra time from having to miss elders meetings, I've got a whole list ready to go. Um, But today is the very last Sunday that they will serve in that capacity starting uh, July 1st. They will no longer be shepherds. So do tell them uh, thank you. They are dear friends, men who I respect as much as anyone uh, that I've had the pleasure of working with as a minister. And what a blessing uh, they have been to this church and what a blessing they have been to me and to my family. Um, And so those are some things you can say. Job's friends had given a clinic on what not to say in certain situations, specifically what not to say to people who are hurting. Uh, During uh, this month and next, we're working through the book of Job, beginning with, of course, the first couple of chapters where God and Satan have this uh, wrangling, wrestling match over Job, and God allows Satan to have his way with Job, but he does set the limits. It's God who sets the limits first time that he can't touch him physically, so he takes away everything else. And the second time, uh, he can't kill him, can't take his life, even though Job pleads for God to do that. That is the limit that God puts on Satan. It says you can't, you can go this far, but no farther, no farther. And all of this is in response to a question that Satan asks to God, which I think is the theme statement in the book of Job. And to understand Job, you have to deal with this question that Satan, the adversary, asks God. And that is, does Job serve God for nothing? You take away his blessings, round one, and he'll curse you to your face. You take away his health, round two, and he'll curse you to your face. And so the question becomes, for us, why do we serve God? (laughs) Why do we follow God? Why do we worship God? Is it because He is good to us? Is it because He gives us things? Is it because He protects us? We want all of those things, and we praise God for them. But the question of the book of Job is, will we continue to serve Him and follow Him and worship Him simply because He is God and He is worthy? That's the question of the book. Well, As you know, Job chapter 3, Job lashes out at God, and he does that throughout uh, the book in his speeches. He ultimately will lash out at his friends, as we'll see today. But when he begins to do that, his friends are very threatened. And as we saw last week, they're very insecure about hearing the things that Job is saying. And you'll get a real taste of that next week, or in two weeks, when we look more specifically and at length at some of the things that Job says to God. But today we want to re, re, uh, look at what Job says to his friends. And the sermon may be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us answering the ignorant. And so let's talk about that word ignorant. What does it mean? 
It doesn't mean bad. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It simply means you don't know. That's all it means. You don't know. And there are lots of reasons why people may not know, why people may be ignorant. Job's friends were ignorant of what was going on with Job's life. And they were a bit ignorant about God's will and God's word and about exactly who God was and how he worked in his world. And their speeches, as we saw last time, certainly were a demonstration of that. If you ever want to know what not to say to someone who is struggling, as Grant shared with our uh, prayer list today, if you ever want to know what not to tell them, then read Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, because they are a clinic in what not to say to those who are hurting. So how does Job respond to them? First of all, he says, you are no help at all. (laughs) You are no help at all. In Job chapter 6, it begins reading a lot like Job chapter 3, where Job is venting at God in response to uh, a speech of one of his friends. And then he begins to specifically address those friends. In Job chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, but that stop flowing in the dry season and in the heat vanish from their channels. Don't you love that metaphor? (laughs) He says, my friends are like that stream that when you don't really need it, it's there like crazy, super deep, fast flowing. But then in the dry season... When it's hot and dry and you really need that stream to flow, it's completely dry as well. Job says, that's what you've been. You are no help at all. Verse 21 of Job 6, now you too have proved to be of no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. I think that's a great summation of how his friends reacted. They saw what was going on with Job. They heard the the difficult, very honest things that were coming out of his mouth, the cries that were there. And they were afraid. They were threatened by that. And they felt like they had to chastise Job and defend God. And neither of those things was true. Job 6, verse 24, teach me and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. Job tells them, and they never could. In Job chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, we looked at some of these words in a previous lesson. Job replied, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you. Verse 4, if you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. Basically, Job is saying, oh, well, that's really easy for you guys to say. (laughs) And I could say the same thing if I were healthy and whole and had all my kids and all my wealth and all my reputation with me, like you do. But instead, I would try to speak words of comfort to you. I would try to help you. 
And yet as it is, no matter what I say, I'm still suffering. I'm still hurting. In chapter 26, the first four verses, Job replies, how have you helped, how you have helped the powerless? There's a little bit of sarcasm in what Job says. How you, how you have helped the powerless, how you have saved the arm that is feeble. What advice you have offered to one without wisdom. And what great insight you have displayed. Who has helped you utter these words and whose spirit spoke from your mouth? Here's what Job does, and here's what I think we should do in those situations. He responds honestly. He tells the truth. In the end, when God comes on the scene and he tells Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar to go to Job and have Job, my servant, pray for you, the difference between the two is that Job responded honestly. And he didn't pretend, and he didn't deny, and he openly, honestly poured out his heart, unlike his friends. And so what do you do when you have to answer the ignorant? What do you do when you have to talk to those well-meaning friends or family members who say all the wrong things? I think you tell them the truth, and that's what Job does. You hold on to the friendship. You hold on to the relationship as best you can. But when you're in that pit... When it feels like you're right just barely out of the grave. And no one is there to comfort. Instead, they're there to judge and to condemn. I think it's okay to tell the truth. And to seek the help that you need. Job does that. He tells them the truth. You're no help at all. But he holds on to their friendship even though it's strained at best. Secondly, Job tells them this. The reality is the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. As Sean shared for a moment or two during our communion and contribution time, that's the thought, right? The righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And generally speaking, that's true. It's always true eternally. But what Sean acknowledged and what Job is willing to acknowledge is that it's not always true in this life. And what Job is saying is it's not true in mine. And what his friends had come and had said was, no, Job, that's not true. You're really not suffering. (laughs) And if you are suffering, you're only getting what you deserve. Comforting thought there. They even went on to say, it's like this everywhere. Ask the people that travel, they'll tell you. The righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And what Job is going to tell them is that's not true. That's just not true. It's not true in my life. And now that I've been able to evaluate it and consider it and reflect on it, it's really not true anywhere all the time. Some of the time, yes. All of the time, no. The reality is many times the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. Job says this in Job chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Job replies, doubtless you are the only people who matter, and wisdom will die with you. (laughs) I'm not sure. If you have a really close relationship with a friend that has said all the wrong things, you might be able to get away with some of those things. Apparently, Job was very close to these men, and they were there. That's to their credit. But they were of no help. And so Job gets at times a little sarcastic. Verse 3, but I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things that they have been telling him? 
Verse 4, I have become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called on God and he answered. A mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune, as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure. Those God has in his hand. The ones who are marauders, they go off scot-free, Job says. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune. They look down on the others as Job's friends were looking down on him. In Job chapter 21, beginning at verse 6. When I think about this, Job says, I am terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Boy, what a, what a great description. When it hits you. That nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Gospels, in Jesus' words, does it say, if you will only follow me and be faithful to me, you'll never suffer anything in this life. Nowhere does it say that. In fact, as we'll see next week, Jesus many times says exactly the opposite. If you look to me and trust in me and seek to obey me, you're going to suffer. In this life. Continuing on in Job 21 verse 6 again. When I think about this I am terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Why do the wicked live on? Growing old and increasing in power. They see their children established around them. Their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. They make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? What would we gain by praying to Him? I, I think one of the things we want to do with Job is try to help him decatastrophize. That word is just simply means, Job, you're saying this always happens or this never happens. And it's not true when Job's friends say it. And it's not true when Job says it either. But that's how he feels. And so for a moment, while your loved one, while your friend is venting, is expressing the hurt and the pain and the anger and the injustice that he feels or that she feels, let them. Let them. And be there with them through it all. Because what's going to happen is you're going to see little caveats of When they come back. Such as Job 21 verse 16. But. After saying all of those things. But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. One thing we'll see is that Job never lets go of his faith. Even though it is tried and tested in a great, incredible, horrible way. But he knows intellectually God sees and God knows and God will act. But today, that's just not much help. And so he goes back and forth a bit. And we see that in the verses that follow in verse 17. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? 
How often does calamity come upon them? The fake God allots in his anger. How often are they like straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by a gale? It is said God stores up the punishment of the wicked for their children. And Job responds to that with these words. Let God repay the wicked so that they themselves will experience it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care about the families they leave behind when their allotted months come to an end? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt that way? God, why aren't you punishing this person who is wicked, this person who is acting unjustly, this person who is treating me so badly or treating others so badly? How can you let that go on? It was kind of Habakkuk's question to God. And then God responded by saying, I'm bringing in the Babylonians and they're going to take my people to task. And that made Habakkuk feel even more uncomfortable because then God's using the less righteous to punish the more righteous. And that didn't sit well with Habakkuk either. And that's where Job is. He's going back and forth a little bit as we see in this chapter especially. How the wicked go on their way and even shake their fist at God and said, I don't need anything from the Almighty. But Job says, but, but I know in my mind that he does care and he does see and he will act. Job chapter 24, we'll read verse, starting at verse 12. The groans of the dying rise from the city and the souls of the wounded cry out for help, but God charges no one with wrongdoing. There are those who rebel against the light who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. And that whole chapter continues on in that exact vein. Job is saying the reality is you guys are saying that the wicked, the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And here I am suffering so I must be wicked. And Job responds with reality. He looks at his life and he says, number one, I'm not any more wicked than I ever was. And number two, I look around the world and that's just not true. The wicked seem to go on their merry way without a care in the world. All their kids are healthy. All their cows and calves are healthy and their sheep and their house, their health. And yet they shake their fist at God and say, what do I care about you? And that doesn't make sense, Job says. And here I am, a righteous man suffering. In such a horrible situation. When Job told them the truth. And told them you're no help at all. In this case. He looks at what he has always believed. The righteous always prosper. The wicked always suffer. And he evaluates it. And he reflects on it. And he takes a moment to stop. And consider And so what do you do in this case? Well, you take an honest look at what you believe. And that's okay. You take an honest look and you evaluate and you consider. Because for Job, that meant taking a step back and realizing, wow, boy, man, I was way off there. Again, don't raise your hands, but has anyone in here (laughs) throughout their lives gone back to some of the things they thought or believed or did? when they were younger and said, yeah, yeah, that wasn't right. And can I just say that I'm so relieved that the internet and YouTube were not allowed, allowed, uh, around when I was younger? 
I'm sure there are cassette tapes of some of my first sermons, but I've tried to destroy all of them that I could find. We do learn. We do grow. And the only ones who don't learn and who don't grow are the ones who don't consider, who don't reflect, who don't evaluate. And that's all Job is saying here. Let's take another look at that, guys. It's just not so. I think we've not quite got that one right. Lastly, this morning, Job told them, though the wicked may feel secure, God's eyes are on their ways. Again, one of the things I love about Job is that he is so, so descriptive and uh, honest about the pain that he feels and the displeasure he has with God and with his friends, but he never lets go of either. He holds on to that friendship. He continues there with those guys, and he holds on to his relationship with God because, again, he knows, he knows God will make this right one day. I don't see it right now, and I don't know why I don't see it right now, but I believe it. Though the wicked may feel secure, God's eyes are on their ways. Again, Job 24, verses 22 through 25. God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. He may let them rest in a feeling of security, verse 23, but his eyes are on their ways. Job believed that. For a little while they are exalted and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all the others. They are cut off like heads of grain. If this is not so, who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? Job knew God's eyes were on the wicked. He knew what was going on, but he had not acted on it. And that's the part that Job didn't quite get. And he lets God know. (laughs) Job 27, beginning at verse 13. Here is the fate God allots to the wicked. The heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him. And their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up the righteous will wear, not him, and the innocent will divide his silver. Job holds on to that faith. He refuses to let it go, even though it doesn't make sense right now. And so he has come to realize that the wicked sometimes prosper and the righteous sometimes suffer. Still, he believes that though they feel secure, the wicked will know one day that God's eyes are on them. When they shake their fist at God, God sees. He may not act right then, but he sees. When he looks down upon a righteous, faithful servant who is hurting and who is suffering, and and unjustly, he sees it and he knows it. And one day he will make it right. But he has never told us when that one day will be. And yet Job trusts God through it all. I want us to read a few verses from Psalm 73 because it is such a wonderful psalm. And so many times the psalmists convey the same message and feelings that Job has. And Psalm 73 is one of those. 
the first few verses. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's what the psalmist believed. Just like Job believed that. But, verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And so there's a lot there that he says, okay, I believe that God's going to take care of the good and he's going to punish the wicked. But as I look around, that's not what I see. And it affected me so much, I nearly lost my faith. Nearly. I nearly lost my foothold because I began to envy the wicked. And I began to ask those questions. Why am I so faithful? What is the use of all of the sacrifices I have made and all of the things I have done to try to be right with God, to try to live His message, to try to share His message? And all it's brought me is hurt and pain. Verse 11 continues this and then takes a turn. Psalm 73, verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They can go on amassing wealth. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Thinking back on Sean's wonderful thoughts around the table, this is why we do this. (laughs) This is exactly why we meet. Because it's hard out there, and sometimes it doesn't make sense out there. And God knew that we needed reminders that would pull us back to Him, to what we believe, to what we know in our heart is true. And the psalmist, like Job, says, when I looked around and I saw the wicked going off scot-free and the, and the faithful suffering like me, I nearly lost my foothold. I nearly lost it all until I entered the sanctuary and I was reminded I was reminded of who God is. I was reminded of the faithfulness of His people. I was reminded of the eternal. And it helped. And that's why we go to church. To remind each other. We can worship God anywhere, anytime, and should, and do. But looking each other in the eyes, giving Jane and Aline, a gentle hug. Sharing with each other, man, I I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering. And I want you to know, I, I don't have any answers for you, but I want you to know that I'm here for you. And I do believe that God is here for you too. Though the wicked may feel secure, God's eyes are on their ways. Just as our shepherd Grant said during the shepherd's prayer time. When we're going through those trials and tribulations and troubles, we can remember this and know this. God is here now. He's here in the midst of it. He never promises to take all those sufferings away. But what he does promise is this. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. As we begin to close today, a few thoughts. First of all, sometimes there are just no easy answers. Sometimes there are just no easy answers. I wish I had them. I've tried to give them. (laughs) Sometimes there are just no easy answers. I remember it like it was yesterday. We were in Arlington, Texas, and my mother died when I was 17 of a heart attack. And one of our members, one of our ladies, wonderful, faithful ladies, at the age of 39, my mother was 49, she died of a heart attack. She had two, uh, three uh, teenage age children. One of them was a daughter. And I remember going to their house and seeing her there and sitting down with her and, and, and talking with her and sharing with her and all of my wonderful, godly, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar wisdom. <laughs> Wondering if I was helping at all. And then while I was there, one of her best friends came in and she breezed right through and passed everyone didn't say hi to anyone, didn't say hello, didn't say a word. And she came up behind this young girl and from behind she just grabbed her like this and just held on and never said a word. And that's what we do. When the right words come, let's say them. But that's what we do. Because sometimes there are just no easy answers. Like Job, we don't have to deny the reality of the difficulties we and others face. We can tell the truth to our friends, to ourselves. We can tell the truth to God. He's big enough. He can handle it. And then also like Job, we can hold on to our faith in the process. We can trust through it all. We don't have to wait for God to fix everything to trust Him. (laughs) We can trust Him in the process. But we may need some help from trusted friends, from trusted family, from church leaders, from a church that will be there with us through it all. Like Job's friends and Job himself, This morning you may be broken and in need of mending. Like Job, this morning you may be wounded and in need of healing. That healing may be the blood of Christ washing away your sins upon baptism into him. That healing and that help may come from a church that's gathered together that will pray for you and will think of you and check on you. The promise of Jesus is this, come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will be there for you. I will see you through it. And if that's where you are today, I can guarantee you that you can have this assurance I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. And I know he is there. And I know he will help me just as 
I am. If you need our help today, come as we stand and sing this great song together. Just as I am with
thy word, and we'll be dismissed in prayer. <clears throat> thy to be here today. We are um, blessed to have this time to come together as your church and to study your word and to worship together. And Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given to West Irwin. Father, as we leave here today, I pray that you uh, keep, us, keep us all safe, watch over us, and I pray that uh, you give us uh, ways to serve you um, every day this week and just help us to be a, a light to those around us. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins, and we pray this in his name. Amen.